0: So before ascending to heaven, Jesus gave his church a mission, right? We find it here in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. He says, I want you to be witnesses of me. Start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part, all the way to the end of the earth, the ends of the earth, right? Right? And so he told them, hey, go and wait, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit. When when you've received the Spirit, then go out and witness. And so they go back to Jerusalem, they go into the upper room, they are there for 10 days continually in prayer. Right? So Jesus was killed on Passover, he ascended uh, 40 days after his resurrection. And Pentecost was 10 days after that, 50 days after Passover. So we we know the timing of all of this. So there's about 10 days uh, period of time that we read about in Acts chapter 1. It covers about 10 days of time. Jesus tells the disciples, go wait for the Spirit. Now listen, they had just spent three and a half years with Jesus, following him. They saw his miracles, right? They, the supernatural power of Jesus. They saw him calm a storm, the wind and the waves. They saw him heal countless sick people. They saw him raise the dead. They saw the supernatural power of Jesus and they heard him teach They watched him die. They saw him resurrected, right? They they were witnesses of all of this. And yet, listen, that wasn't enough. Hear what I have to say. That wasn't enough for them going forward in ministry. What do I mean? It wasn't enough in the sense that they needed a power within themselves. They had seen the power of Jesus. They needed a power within them. If they were going to carry on the work and the ministry and the mission that Jesus had given them to do. This is why Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. And once you've received that power, then you will be witnesses. Don't go, don't get the cart in front of the horse. Wait until you have the Spirit, then, then you be witnesses. So on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, as as they prayed, God sends his Spirit. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. Right? We've looked at these verses in each of these messages. But in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Look what it says. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered. And immediately, what do they do? They begin doing what Jesus told them to do. They begin being witnesses, right? They begin declaring, the, as it says here in verse 11, the, the magnificent acts of God. Publicly, they're declaring this, and they're doing it in a supernatural kind of a way, as a sign to Israel. They're doing this. They're speaking in languages they, that weren't native to them. They were speaking and, and everyone there, was, they were hearing the, the magnificent works of God in their own language. They could understand what these Jewish men were saying in their own language. It was, it was a supernatural, it was a sign, was a sign and, and a wonder for the nation of Israel. And Peter then gets up. And he proclaims the gospel in verse number 22. He says, Jesus, this man who is attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. In verse 23, he says, you lawless people killed him. You nailed him to a cross. But he says, God raised up this Jesus. And he says in verse 33 that he has exalted, God has exalted uh, this Jesus to the right hand of God. And he has received... From the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured the Spirit out. And this is what you are witnessing right here, people. This is what Peter's saying. He's saying, what you are witnessing here, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says in verse 36, Let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Christ. And it says in verse 37 that they were pierced to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is has, has, has convicting their hearts with the truth of Peter's declaration. And they say, what should we do? And Peter says in verse 38, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day in verse 31, 3,000 people are saved and added to the church. Wow. Wow. Remember this. These are the same guys that 50 days earlier were cowering in a back room somewhere hiding as if their life depended on it. The same guy preaching this message denied Jesus three times publicly the night of his arrest. I don't know the guy. He even... He even went uh, as far as to curse, to, to, to distance himself from this Jesus, that he now all of the sudden is standing up and boldly proclaiming, publicly proclaiming. What changed? Obviously, they're not operating in their own power, right? They couldn't as much as cast down a demon when Jesus sent them out in ministry. And something has radically changed in these followers of Jesus. What was it? They were operating by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They had received a divine, supernatural power that changed them from fearful men to radiant witnesses for Christ. And what was the result? Thousands of people are saved. The church is moving forward. That's what's happening. That's the result. You see, the book of Acts is a story about the church on the move. The early church, the Acts church on the move, actively engaged in the mission that Jesus gave them, they're following Christ's orders. And throughout the book of Acts, what we find is a church moving in a powerful way as the disciples of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we find this all throughout Acts. All throughout Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we saw it. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, Acts 4.31, when they prayed, uh, they were in this place, the place where they were uh, assembled was shaken. We saw this last week, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter six, they, uh, uh, Peter says to them to, to choose out among them seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. In Acts chapter six and verse five, they chose Stephen because he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter seven, in verse 45, when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up into heaven and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Ananias went to see Paul, uh, Saul, when he was first converted, uh, he, he, he laid hands on him and he regained his sight and he said, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, it says, and full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 9, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You read Acts and you kind of go, huh, huh, there's got to be something to this, right? There's got to be. We see a church on the move and we see this filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, folks, listen, what we're reading about in the book of Acts, the church was not propelled forward, forward by great men, hear me, with, by great men with great talent and great influence or great wealth or a great education. That's not how the church was propelled forward. It wasn't by the greatness of these men at all. It was by the greatness and the power of God, the greatness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Vance Havner, old-time preacher, he said that we're not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Holy Spirit of God. Right? We can spend all of our time bad-mouthing the world, and, you know, "Ah, this this whole world's going out. it, it, It is. But, I mean, you understand, like, we can just spend our time criticizing the world, or we could just spend our time just trying to, Conform to the world, we're not going to win the world that way. I think Vance Havner was right. It's going to take the combustion within the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6, it's not by strength or by might, but by my spirit. What's going on in Acts is that the power of the Holy Spirit is energizing. They, these people are, are, in Vance Havner's words, they are ignited by the Holy Spirit of God. In church, what I want to say to us tonight is, we need this power in moving forward. We must have it. We must. We must have the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the good news. The same first century power of the risen, living, loving, indwelling Christ, made known through the Holy Spirit, is still available to us today. Still available. We're not reading about anything here that the church... Cannot And I, I understand that there were, this was a unique time in history and it's transitional. So there were certain signs and wonders that were done that, that we don't necessarily see today to the same degree, perhaps. But the Holy Spirit and his supernatural power and his ability to fill us and, and give us the power that we need to operate by his power and move forward, that is still available to us today god's power hasn't weakened right amen it hasn't god god hasn't changed he hasn't weakened we're the ones who are weak we're the ones who are powerless remember what jesus said he said without me you can do some things is that what he said without me you can do most things was that was that what it was Without me, you can do 95% of things. No, he said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But we sure try, don't we? We need to see our weakness, our own helplessness, our own powerlessness, so that we understand we need to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit You see, what we're going to see tonight, I I believe the scripture reveals that this power is something every believer can experience. However, not every believer does experience this. What we're going to learn about tonight, every one of us as believers can experience, but not every one of us are experiencing it in an ongoing way i believe that whenever a person is saved i believe that they they come into the family of god filled with the spirit i believe that that's why new christians are the happiest boldest witnesses there are because they haven't hung around us yet to know that you're supposed to be dull and boring and keep your mouth shut right they they're filled with the spirit they just go on tell everybody you know, like hey man calm down what are you filled with the holy spirit or something chill you know God, help us. No, we don't do that. But, but you understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is something, what we're going to talk about, this is something for all of us. And so, look, we don't have the time to deep dive into the Holy Spirit time. We could spend a whole sermon series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus in on this one slice of the picture that we get from Acts, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what we see. We see this over and over. The filling of the Holy Spirit. What is this thing? <laughs> How do we get this? Huh? What, what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? So we're going to just look at those three questions tonight. Number one, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? What is this thing? So I'm going to give you a couple ideas here, right? If you want to write some things down. First of all, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know, is a command. For all, every believer. All of us. You might want to mark a, a verse in your Bible. It's Ephesians 5.18. It says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Don't be drunk, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. In the Greek, this is in the imperative mode it's a command this is not optional it's not a suggestion god's not giving us a good idea this is a command it's not something for you know just an elite few of super spiritual people uh, preachers you know some 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 guy that that we might look to and think oh that guy yeah, he he has the feeling of the this is this command is for it's for all of us you and me. It's for all of us. Be filled with the Spirit. I want you to know that this is a present command, present tense, which means there is continual action here in the verb tense. In other words, it could be translated, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We, which is a, a Greek uh, dictionary. We wrote a lot about uh, uh, Greek trans- translation and so forth. He says in his book, he says that this could be translated, be constantly controlled by the Spirit. John MacArthur, a name we all know, he says that this could be translated, be being kept filled with the Spirit. In the Amplified Bible, you still use that, Gary? Is it still your go-to version of the Amplified Bible? Uh, it says, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit, right? It's it's to be an ongoing thing. Being filled with the Spirit is supposed to be the normal way that every one of us as Christians live, a normal way of life. But apparently, the fact that Paul is commanding this, evidently, we can like, be filled with the Spirit, and then not be filled with the Spirit. If this is something that we're commanded, you don't ever see it commanded in the Bible, be baptized by the Spirit. It's not commanded. We see it happening, but we don't see it commanded. But we do see it, the Scripture commanding us, be filled with the Spirit. Evidently, there's a need for us to be filled with the Spirit from time to time, like we were not filled, and we need to be filled again with the Spirit. So let's distinguish this a little bit. Because the truth is, when you are saved, if you're you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. He lives within us. We see this in the scripture, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Just as Jesus Christ, the, the Spirit of Christ, needed a body, right? He came and he took on flesh. Why? So he could die for man. Well, we are the body of the Holy Spirit. The person, just as the Holy Spirit is as much of a person of God as the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, you are his temple. He lives inside of you, he dwells there. And that is a permanent thing. The Bible in Ephesians one thirteen talks about that that He seals us until the day of redemption. He it talks about the earnest th- deposit, like a guarantee. You know, you put down an earnest payment a de- deposit on a home like you're going to have a home built or you're going to buy a house right that that deposit that earnest money means you're going to make good on that deal you're going to come back with the rest of it you're going to see the thing through and that's what the holy spirit he indwells us and in. he's that seal it's a his his residence within us is a permanent thing in other words you don't have to invite the holy spirit to come into your life after you've been saved he's already there And he's staying there. However, being filled with the Spirit is not permanent. It's not a once and for all experience. Why? Because there are times that we choose to walk in the flesh instead. We choose to go our own way, to be filled with ourselves or other things in life. And we quench the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But it's a present command. It's to be a continually ongoing thing, but it always isn't. It's also a passive command. It's in the passive voice, right? We understand that, that even in English, Greek and English, there are both active and passive uh, uh, voices, right? I mean, active is, hey, go take out the trash, right? Hop to it right? That's something you're to do, right? A passive command is what we have here. He's not saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not saying fill yourself, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit. He's saying let the Holy Spirit fill you. In other words, it's not a work of man. It's not my work to fill myself with the Holy Spirit. It's God's work to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, right? So it's a command. Secondly, it has the idea of influence and control. Influence and control. Ephesians 5.18, right? We see this. It contrasts spirit filling with what? Being drunk. Drunkenness. The idea behind this is that of control, right? Drunken and spirit-filled people have one thing in common. They are both controlled people. Their lives and their behavior are radically changed By that which fills them. So while the effects of alcohol control the drunken person, the effects of the Holy Spirit control the believer. So when we speak of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're speaking of being controlled by Him. Do you understand that? Being controlled by Him. So spirit filling is what happens when the Holy Spirit of God has the controlling interest in your life, when He's in control. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It implies that you're giving Him the freedom to occupy every part of your life, guiding you and controlling you in every area of your life. So what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It's just simply the Holy Spirit is free to do exactly what He's living inside of you to do. He's free. He has the reins. He is in control. So look, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean getting more of the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like hard to understand because when we think of filling something, we think like we're getting more. It's not about getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. If you're saved, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get in need. But the truth is, he doesn't always have full control of us. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he does. He's in control. He is free to do the good work, the sanctifying work of God in us. So, it requires... Well, it involves this idea of influence and control. Third, it requires our consent. Our consent. I uh, I, I can't control myself and be controlled by the Holy Spirit at the same time, right? Christ can't be on the throne of my life if I'm on it. And so it requires me to consent to allow right? To, to, to get off of the throne and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to take control. I must abdicate. I must make myself available to the Holy Spirit. And when I do, He fills and, and He controls, but we have to give our consent to Him. So it, it requires consent. It also involves, next, our cooperation, doesn't happen all at once any more than you get drunk all at once, right? Being filled with the Spirit happens as you continually cooperate, right? You've, you consent and then you cooperate with His influence and control in your life. And just as soon as you take back control, you know what we do? The Bible says we quench. We quench the Spirit. This is where many of us struggle, church, is that we fight the Lord because we want to do things our way. This is the struggle. We want our way. We want to do life the way we want to do life. And many times that is in complete contradiction To what God wants for our lives. So, are you willing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God? You know, when we fight against the Lord, sometimes what God says is, okay, we can do it your way for a while. You want your way? Let's do it your way. Have you ever been there? Let's do it your way. Burger King makes it your way. One of the worst things that we can ever experience in life is God giving us our own way. I've always come to regret it in my life. Always. Always. If we won't cooperate with God, Sometimes he cooperates with us and he lets us do things our way for a while in our own strength, by our own will. But then we fail and when we cry out to God, he says, are you willing to cooperate with me now? The Holy Spirit is not going to control you by force. It's going to take your consent, and it's going to take your cooperation. And then the, the the next thing here is that it demands close contact. F. B. Meyer, old time, he was a contemporary of Spurgeon. He he, in his book on the on the spirit on spirit filling, he explained it kind of this way. He he talks about some of you guys are from Chicago, and he talks about the elevated. Is it the L train? Is that what that is called? Is it, they still run them there? Chicago? Yeah. And, you know, you got the rails, and then that third rail is for the power. And there's a, a clamp, I guess, that comes down on that third rail. And I guess people die every year from stepping on the power rail, right? The power is there, but unless the train comes in contact with that power, it's not going to move, right? Right? And, and F.B. Meyer was trying to explain the feeling of the Holy Spirit, and it's like that third rail. The Holy Spirit, he indwells us, but if we're out of contact with him, we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us, but we all know what it's like to be, you know, you can live under the same household with someone and not have any contact, right? Have you ever, right? As your kids get older, and they, their room, it's just like you see a glow from underneath their door, are they breathing? Should we go in and check them, you know? But we're losing contact, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit, he, he dwells within us, but we must live in continuous contact with Him, with His power. We do that just by spending time with God. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go on. OK? So, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a command. It, it's about influence and control. It requires our consent, it involves our cooperation, and it demands contact with God on a regular basis. So, how then? How then are we filled with the Spirit? You know what we don't find in Scripture? We don't find a specific formula. There's not like a three or twelve step program in the book of Acts to be spirit-filled. In fact, if you read different authors, they'll say, this is how you're filled with the spirit. And I guess maybe what I've done is is I've tried to boil down what everybody says and give you basically how I think we're filled with the spirit and how we can maintain that filling with the spirit. And here's what I, here's what I know it's not. Being filled with the spirit doesn't require us begging God for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we have to beg God for anything that that is the will of God for us, right? I don't think it's a a matter of of begging God. I would say that there's probably just one absolute essential in being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know what it is? Faith. It's faith. Why? Here's why. Let me ask you a question. How did you become a Christian? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. Right? How did you get saved? Well, it was God's work in you. That's grace. Unmerited. God's unmerited work. God's uh, uh, of redemption in our lives, regeneration in our lives. God's grace through faith faith not through works keep reading the ephesians 2 8 go to verse 9 right it's not it's not by our works it's not by what we do it's by what jesus christ already did what was done on the cross right so we're saved by grace through faith everything then that we receive from god from the moment of our spiritual birth until the day we die is by faith Paul says, the just shall live by faith. Here's a verse for you, Colossians chapter two and verse six. You should mark it in your Bible. Is it up here? It's on the screen. So then, just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, how did you receive him? By grace through faith. Continue to walk in him. The same way that you were saved, that's how you're to keep on walking with God. By grace through Faith. So do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you can be by faith. You can be. You don't have to barter with God. Oh, God, if you fill me with your Holy Spirit, I will. (laughs) Have Have we all done that, bartered with God over something, you know? You don't have to barter with God. You don't have to beg him. All you have to do is exercise faith. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was thinking this week. Do you imagine going in to a bank, right? Say you have a thousand dollars in your checking account, and you're walking with a hundred dollar check to to cash it. Do you walk in there to the bank and do you lay it on the counter and get on your knees? Oh, ma'am, please, please, would you would you please cash this check? I know it's a hundred bucks, but please, what is that? What you do? She look at you like, "What is wrong with this guy?" No, you put it down on the counter by faith, knowing what. She's gonna cash this thing. I got a, I got an account here with my name on it, right? I'm good for it. Give me my money. Right? I don't have to pull out a gun. I don't have to beg or barter. It's not, hey, I'll wash your car if you cash the check. No. Well, it's the same way with the filling of the Holy Spirit. We simply go to God in faith. We, by faith, draw on His resources to live a holy and a fruitful life. I really believe that it's a faith Matter. Now, there's two other things that I think are essential to continue being filled with the Spirit. One, the the second thing here is obedience. Obedience. Because if we're not walking in obedience, how are we going to remain filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Right? Here's what the Bible says Ephesians 4:30 And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption, right? Don't grieve him. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't stifle him. The word stifle there, the Greek word could be translated extinguish, right? Remember in in Acts 2, the the flames of fire, right? That picture of the Holy Spirit. And the idea is is that we can extinguish the power, the influence, the control of the Holy Spirit uh, in our life. How? How can we do that? Well, there's a multitude of ways, but you can basically boil them all down to disobedience, taking back control, doing life our way in some way, shape, or form, living in blatant disobedience to what we know to be the will of God for our life. What we're saying is, no thanks God, I got this. And as soon as we do that, we are no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with ourselves in our own way. And God says, oh, we can do that for a while. Is that what you want to do? Go for it. So church, Obedience is absolutely necessary. When we obey God's commands, it allows the Spirit the freedom to work in us. Sin is what hinders the Holy Spirit's filling in our life. So what should we do when there is sin in our life? Confess it, right? We just confess it. Thank God for verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, there's nothing that God can't forgive you of. And he will willingly forgive you of all of your sin when you confess what you know to be disobedience in your life to God, and you turn from that, he will forgive you of all your, even the stuff you haven't, you forgot about, you don't even know about. God will forgive and cleanse you of that. And so obedience to God is how we maintain the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's one other thing that we should note here, and that is yieldedness, right? Right? That goes back to the consent. That goes back to the cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. If we're going to remain filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to stay yielded to the Spirit of God, so completely yielded that He possesses us fully, and in that sense, He fills us. In other words, every single area of our life, it's not God, you know, you can have this area of my life, but stay out of the bedroom. Stay out of the computer room. You no, know, I don't I don't want you in there. Been looking at bad stuff in there. I, don't be don't be in there. Don't don't be in the office room. Don't like we keep God out of certain areas of that's No. We're not going to have the Holy Spirit's filling. We're going to be living by our own power. We are not going to have the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit upon which we can live in a powerful kind of a way. We won't have it as long as we are not yielded to God's Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.13 that we have the ability to choose who we're going to yield ourselves to. Are we going to yield our our body, our members as instruments of righteousness unto God or are we going to yield ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness? We have a choice. And in the choosing, what we ought to choose, what we what we need to choose is to yield to God, to yield to his will, to yield to his word, to yield to his spirit. And so when the holy spirit of God convicts you of something this week, this week I'm I'm walking and I like to oftentimes pray while I'm walking, and it's like I'm trying to pray, and God's like saying, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Take care of that, and then we'll talk. Have you, does anybody know what I'm talking about, right? That's what the Spirit of God does. So you know what I did? I took care of it. That, that's, that's what we should do. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart about something and says, hey, that's not right what you said, that wasn't right, deal with that, take care of that, confess that, that we immediately deal with that. and we, I yield, I yield, Lord. That is how we maintain the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Number three, what is the effect? What happens when we are spirit-filled? It will affect you in three ways. And we find this in Acts. It'll affect your character. It'll affect your conduct. And it will affect your calling. Think about the character. Just take Peter, for example. Is Peter's character any different in Acts as it was in the Gospels? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. That was the difference of the Holy Spirit. See, Galatians chapter five tells us this. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Anybody need any of those things? Anybody need any patience? Any self-control? Right? Kindness. When I find myself, like, being impatient... Right, And I get that way sometimes. I'm just telling you. I get impatient sometimes. You know, I, you know what goes through my head? Boy, not very filled with the Spirit right now, are you, Dave? Walking in the old flesh there. The Spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit, man. They are contrary one to the other. And it is a battle that goes on inside of us. But I'm telling you this. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God he's going he's going to produce in you a love that will enable you to love listen to me anybody anybody even that person that you could gouge his eyes out or her eyes out if you had the chance i'm telling you what if the if you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God he can produce in you a love that you can love anybody I'm not talking about it doesn't mean you know, you're probably not going to become bosom buddies or something and have these overwhelming warm fuzzies. But I'm talking about treating a person right and doing it like Jesus would, right? I mean, Jesus is on the cross, and he loves the people who have nailed him there. Like, that kind of love. Uh, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you will have peace when, they, when there's chaos going on all around you. And it feels like, why? And people look at you like, what is your problem? You should be pulling your hair out right now. Well, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit produces in us a peace that passes all understanding. You talk about joy. I mean, we seek happiness in this world. We look for joy, right? We're we're looking for things that make us happy and fill us up. You want joy? Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He will produce in you a joy that... The world can't understand. It will blow you away how how much joy God can give you in your heart. A real joy. You see, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You can't produce fruit artificially. I mean, my grandma, God bless her, Mary, Tom and Mary, God bless them. They're in heaven now. But old Mary, she she was, I don't know, five foot three, you know, weighed 90 pounds, soaking wet and full of bananas. I mean, she was the tiniest Mary. Mary. She said, oh, Tom. And she loved to scratch my back and tell stories. But little old Mary, she had wax fruit on her kitchen table in Rochester, Michigan. And that fruit looked good, but you wouldn't want to eat it. We tried once. Doesn't, it's not real. You know what we do? We we try the best we can to to produce love. Gotta love this person. I'm married to him after all, you know. Guess I gotta I gotta have peace about you know, we we try, we try to have self-control. Listen, you walk in the spirit of God and all those things that used to taunt you and just get you, you know, you'd be doing the wrong things and you couldn't control yourself around some things or some people, and I'm telling you what, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to produce in you self-control, and you'll be like, I don't even know what's going on here, but I don't want to rip their head off. That's the Holy Spirit of God. I'm telling you what, folks. It's the real thing. It's the real deal. It's the real fruit. And you can't can't fake the real fruit of the Holy Spirit. We try, but you can't fake the real fruit. The Holy Spirit of God will produce in you a godly character. It'll also affect your conduct. And we find that in Acts, too. I mean, these guys, they're just... They're busy, they're just doing the Lord's work and everything that comes out of their mouth, everything they do, man, it's all spirit-filled. In fact, if you go to Ephesians 5, we don't have time, we're out of time, but Ephesians 5 where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes on and explains like, what that looks like. When you're filled with the Spirit, man, you're gonna be, you're, you're, there's gonna be praise and worship coming out of your mouth. There's thanksgiving. There's a submissiveness to one another. I mean, Spirit-filled living affects the way the, the, the Holy Spirit's filling our life. It affects the way we're gonna live at our days. And it's not gonna be that we have to wake up and be like, oh, okay, I gotta, uh, I gotta do this today because that's what the Bible is. I gotta do this today. No, it's just like, I wanna obey God. It's just, I want to obey him. And that's, it's not hard. I just, I just want to live for the Lord and please him. And, and he gives us the power to do that. And it's also going to have a powerful effect in our calling. And that's what we see in Acts. Man, people are being saved. The church is moving forward. Churches are being planted. I mean, God is on the move. Why? Because there's a bunch of spirit-filled believers that have been radically changed and who are now proclaiming the message of God. So here's just wrapping it up. Look, we are to be continually controlled by the spirit, cooperating with the spirit and in contact with the spirit. It is God's will for us to be filled and controlled by his Holy Spirit. He's ready. God is willing to fill you with his spirit. He wants to fill you with his spirit. But sometimes we're reluctant. There's something we are afraid to give up. God has made himself fully available to us, but the question is this, have we made ourselves fully available to him? Look at these three jars on the screen. Three jars. These three jars, first one is a full jar. It's got some coins in it. The second jar has a lid on it. It's a sealed jar. And the last jar, of course, is an empty and open jar. And my question for you is this. Which one are you? Which jar are you? The first jar represents a Christian who is full of something other than the Holy Spirit. Maybe it is money. Maybe we're so consumed with stuff. And that's what's filled our life. Maybe it's, it, it might be nothing wrong. I mean, it, you could put good stuff in jar number one and be filled with yourself, your family, your life. I mean, it, could, it, it doesn't have to be sinful stuff. But if we're full of ourselves and we're full of all the things of this world or whatever we can cram into our jar, our, into our life. I mean, the Holy Spirit, he dwells in there, but we sure haven't given him a whole lot of room to work with. We've kind of pushed him out. We've kind of pushed him to the sides. We've buried him under all the other aspects, all the other things we have filled our lives with. Imagine trying to fill a jar that is already filled with something else. You can't fill what is already full. Right? The second jar The second jar has the lid screwed on tight. Right? Nothing in it. But the but the lid is screwed on tight. And it represents the Christian who's empty but not open to the Holy Spirit's filling, right? Jar number one represents Christians who are full of themselves and have no room for the Holy Spirit. Jar number two represents Christians who simply have a closed heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe not filled with a bunch of things in life but just you know i'm not really interested in this this must be for somebody else super spiritual people or something church you know those church fanatic people or something you can't fill jar number 2 either right and so i wonder tonight are are you so full of yourself or of other things that there's no room for the filling of the holy spirit in your life or are you closed off like jar number two? Have you have you basically told God, you know, hey, look, thanks for thanks for this salvation thing, but that's as far as I want to take it. I'm really closed off to God, you having your will and your way in my life. Listen, until we are like the last jar, until we are empty and open, the Holy Spirit of God cannot fill us, and we will live and operate by our own power. Remember the old service stations? How many of you can remember a full service station, right? And you'd pull up to the thing and a guy would come out, right? And you'd say, fill her up. By saying fill her up, here's what you were saying. You were saying, I'm empty and I want you to fill me. Church, do you recognize that you're empty? Jesus said we can do nothing without him. We can't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We've got no power in and of ourselves. Oh, we, can, we have some energy, we have some strength, we can accomplish some stuff. But we know how futile and how empty that really is. Oh, tonight that we would be like jar number three, just empty and open to his filling. And so if that's you tonight, I I invite you to take a moment and to pray and simply to say to God, listen, thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into my heart and into my life. Thank you that he indwells me and to demonstrate my faith. I thank you for filling me. Maybe tonight you know that you're jar one or two, and what you need to pray tonight is, Lord, forgive me because I'm so full of so many other things. Would you get me to the place where I'm empty and open? Maybe you're jar two, and you're just sealed off to God. You just feel like there's a wall, and you're not really interested. What I would hope that you would pray before you leave here tonight is, God, I give you permission to open my heart. I want you to open my heart. I want to be to the place, I want to come to the place where I'm empty and open to the spirit of God. Would you do that tonight? Before we go, would you bow your heads? Take a moment. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to barter with God for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You just have to be open and willing and by faith receive the Spirit's filling. If you're saved, He, he lives within you. Would you give Him control of your life? This is to be an ongoing, continual part of our everyday life. Father, thank you.